Well, welcome. As Greg mentioned, my name is Nick. I'm one of the elders here. And uh, we're going to continue today in our study in uh, the letter, Paul's letter to Colossians. Um, but before I get into that, I want to ask, um, how many of you have raised uh, young children before or have had children? Okay, so a lot of you. So I don't know if you noticed this morning, but um, we were having some fun with young children. Uh, Kalia decided that it was time to get up and crawl through the seats uh, during one of the songs and kind of meander around there. And it's like, I'm like asking her, like, what, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Um, but uh, as we're going to see later today, um, our children don't always have the same mind we do. <laughs> and uh, at, sometimes that comes as a shock to us, and it comes as a shock to me uh, sometimes as well. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, but something I wanted to share with you is kind of fun. Uh, the last couple of days, um, those of you who have had young children know that um, potty training is a very exciting time in your household. And um, actually, uh, this thing that happened this weekend uh, was extremely exciting. So in the, over the last year, we've been uh, teaching Kalia uh, uh, how, to, how to potty train. Don't worry, I'm not going to get real, real into details here. But uh, Faith recently, our youngest, who is 18 months old, decided, hey, I want to give it a try. And she did it. And she's done it three times now. So as we watch our kids grow up and we see them accomplish the things that, are, that we think are just so normal in our minds, it is so exciting to watch those little milestones just kind of happen. And as a parent, it's good for us to remind ourselves that as they're growing up and learning, they're aging. They're not the same age we are. They're aging and they're learning as they grow. And so it was just fun to see uh, see Faith uh, do that um, and just want to do the same thing that Kalia is trying to do. So we're having some fun with that. Okay, we need to pray. Let's pray and ask the Lord to uh, guide us through the message this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this wonderful opportunity you've given to us, as Charlie mentioned, to come in a free environment to gather in a building um, where we can just worship you in freedom and study your word and learn more about you. And we just thank you so much for that opportunity. Father, we, we lift up those who aren't with us this morning uh, for whatever reason. I just pray that you would just surround them with yourself and with your love and with our love, that they would know that we are near as we are a family and we are united in you. And we look forward to spending eternity together uh, in the kingdom that's coming. Uh, Father, we ask that you would just be with us this morning as we're studying your word. Father, empty me of myself and fill me with your spirit so that um, everyone here will hear your words and, and not mine, uh, your words only. We pray that this morning in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, so uh, just as a, as a reminder of some things that we've been studying in this, in this uh, letter to the Colossians, um, I just want to uh, kind of take you through one of, the, um, one of the verses in a song that's become kind of a favorite of mine, and that's uh, King of Kings, which is by Hillsong, and uh, it's one that we've been singing recently here uh, over the last six months, and um, it's just, I'm not going to remember the lyrics uh, perfectly. I was trying to look it up earlier, and my phone decided that Wi-Fi was not going to be a thing today, so uh, I don't have the ability to look it up. So I'm going to do the best I can to, to kind of remember what those lyrics are, but it's the story uh, of, of really the gospel. 
and something that we need to be reminded of as we get ready to study this passage this morning. So, one thing that we need to be reminded of, and we should always remind ourselves of, is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Can I get an amen? Jesus rose from the dead, okay? He has proven that resurrection is real, and resurrection is a possibility. So, because of that, we have everything to look forward to, okay? That one thing, Jesus rose from the dead. And because of that, we will get to, if we come to a point in faith in him and choose to follow him and live according to his standards, we will have eternal life with him as resurrected beings in the new coming kingdom, in the new heavens and the new earth. We have that to look forward to. But as Greg mentioned last week, while we are, because of Christ's resurrection 2,000 years ago, if we come to faith in him, we are now placed in Christ, as Paul likes to use that phrase. We are placed in Christ, and we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. But as Greg so wonderfully mentioned last week, I love the way he worded this, while we're citizens of heaven, we live here on earth. And with that, because we're living in a fallen world, there's a lot of tension in our being citizens of heaven, yet living in this world and living in this fallen world. And we're going to see that today as we study through these, this passage that we're going to look at here in Colossians chapter 3. And, and there's a lot of tension in how we live and really how we live out the entirety of our life. Not just our lives personally, but our lives relationally. We're going to see that uh, today. And so the title for today's message is Living Life in the Name of the Lord. How should we be living the entirety of our life in the name of Jesus in a way to where he could look at that and say, hey, if you've placed my name on that, I'm happy with that. If you have your name on something, like if you write a letter or wrote a book or something that's going to be published, you would want it to be just right, right? Because it has your name on it. We are going to learn today that we need to be living life as believers. Because, of, because we're believers, we're inherently witnesses. We need to be living the entirety of our life in the name of the Lord. So our passage for today is, <clears throat> excuse me, our passage for today is further application of the instructions that we learned last week when we looked at uh, chapter 3, verses 5 through 17. Today we're going to be starting in chapter 3, verse 18, through chapter 4, verse 6. That's our passage for today. I'm going to place a disclaimer on this message this morning. This is a difficult passage that we're going to read because of the complexity of relationships. Right? Relationships are complex, and we're sinful people, so that makes it even more fun. I'm going to put it that way. I'm going to put a positive spin on it. It makes things interesting, right? And so this is not going to be a perfect sermon. If it were a perfect sermon, I would be able to dive into every single issue that's going on in this church family. And I can't do that because it's so complex. And Paul doesn't even try to do that. He lays out things very generally so that you can take it and in wisdom apply it to your life. And so my goal today 
is to provide you with some of the insights and the general teaching that Paul taught so that you can apply it to your specific situation and the complexity that's in your life. Okay? So that's my goal for today. It's not going to be perfect, but I think it's going to be efficient and sufficient for what we need to be uh, studying today and what Paul lays out for us in chapter 3. As you'll see uh, later, hopefully not too much, but as you'll see, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about this subject. Um, this is an area that's kind of a, uh, I don't know what do you, what do you oh, I'm just, I'm passionate about it. I can't think of the other word I wanted to use, but, uh, and so I'm excited, while it's difficult, I'm excited to be able to share this uh, with you today. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open to Paul's letter to the Colossians uh, in chapter 3, starting in verse 18. That's where we're going to begin, and I will end with chapter 4, verse 6. Paul writes, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. So before we dive into this and really start drilling down into each verse here, I want to make the point that context here is key. Context is key. We cannot take these verses out of this passage out of Colossians and then just dive right into them and say, okay, this is it. Because there is a whole three chapters that we've already studied that build up to this point. Paul is very deliberate in how he's approaching this portion of uh, his letter to the Colossians. So it's not a standalone passage by any means. We must read it in light of the entirety of Colossians. So in chapter 1, we learned about Paul's, what Paul's mission is and who Jesus is as our king. And then in chapter 2, we learned that we are alive in Christ and that because of that, we should not let anyone disqualify us or take us out of the kingdom. They can't do that because only Christ brings us into the kingdom. So nothing can remove us from that once we're there. And then we start learning in chapter 3, Paul starts laying out specific practical application of what it looks like to live as believers. And he finishes verse 17, which is where we ended last week, with this verse. Verse 17, Paul says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
And so that's our kickoff into this passage today, starting with verse 18. So we need to consider all of that when we're coming to Colossians 3.18. I want to provide a quick illustration, and then we'll dive into the meat of this. Um, the regulations that we just read, the instructions, they really are. They're, they're, they're rules. They're rules for a household. They're rules for the Christian household and how we as believers should be living so that we can uh, be an effective witness to those around us. So as an illustration, these regulations or instructions for living life in the name of the Lord are analogous to the laws of nature or the laws of physics. Now let me explain something. God set us up in his creation. He wired us in such a way to where we should live in such a way. So with the laws of physics, I can't go jump off a cliff. Well, I I could, but it wouldn't end very well for me, right? Because gravity is there, and gravity is not going to change because that's the way God set up the world. God set us up as men and women, as children, and as as we're going to see, and even as parents and throughout here, God set us up as people to interact in a specific way and to live in a specific way. And if we break those laws, the pain and the suffering that will result of that, so not the death of the cliff, right, that I mentioned earlier, that's immediate when you break the laws of physics or when you try to challenge the laws of physics. But when you challenge the laws and the regulations that God has set up, the pain and the suffering is not always immediate. It's delayed. And so that's why we get, we get tempted into thinking that, oh, this is, a, this is okay. I can dabble in this area and, and mess around here because the pain's not immediate. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is immediate. And sometimes the pain is immediate for the other person, not for yourself. So as we're thinking about this today, we need to be clear that these are not just... Um, these are not just... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, They're not, uh, well, I can't think of the word. It doesn't matter. These are regulations. Point taken, okay? These are rules. These are, this is not something that we can just, uh, that that God has just set up as as a suggestion. That's the word I was looking for. These are not just suggestions. These are regulations, okay? Now, another thing to be clear, and I said context is key, Paul is writing to a specific church here, the church in Colossae. Okay? So the, 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 the Roman culture, the Greek culture that's, that Paul is dealing with here in this church in Colossae, it is extremely complex, and the relationships are very different than the relationships that we experience today in Western society. So let me give an example. Many times, men of the household were, were the authority. They were the leaders. The fathers ruled over their children and even over their wives. There was a there was a kind of a, a, a dichotomy here of the the uh, there might have been is even a chance where many times uh, the husbands assumed their wives as property to some degree. Okay, so this is a very complex and different situation than what we have today, but we can learn from it and apply it to our society and our culture today. I also want to say that many times um, there were slavery would be intermixed with this. And it wasn't, and it was, it was, it didn't matter what kind of a person you were. It, could, it was just based on your social status and your economic status in Rome. And so many times, uh, husbands could be married to a slave wife, 
which sounds odd to us, but that's the complexity of the nature that Paul's dealing with here. And you could even have slave children. So you'd have children who are also slaves. So you see the kind of interrelationship and, and mixing here, okay? That is what it was like then. But we have an opportunity to look at it in that light and then apply it to our society today because there is application and things that we can learn from because God set us up the same way back then as we are today. We are the same people, the same, uh, we're wired the same way because God created us. Okay, so let's get into this. Uh, The first section that I want to uh, dive into is uh, verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. And these are instructions or regulations for the Christian household. Instructions for the Christian household. And in the Christian household in the time of Colossae, that, that, like I said earlier, that included husbands, wives, children, and slaves, and masters being uh, usually those fathers and those husbands. Okay? So that's the, that's the household that Paul is addressing here, and we're going to learn from that today. So uh, the first aspect that we're going to focus in on in this instructions for the Christian household is the marriage relationship. The marriage relationship. That's the first area we're going to look at today. Colossians 3.18 reads, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now before we get too far with this verse, I want to point out this does not say, Husbands, make sure your wives submit to you. That is not what Paul's saying here. Paul is addressing the wives specifically and for the intent of the wife to hear. Now, submit. Ooh, that's a fun word today, isn't it? Submit. Paul is very deliberate in using this term. And what he means by submit, this, the connotation here, is a choice to order herself. So the woman's choice to order herself toward her husband and to join and cling to him. This also has the connotation of having no other man before her man. To have no other man before her man similar to how we are commanded to have no other God before God. Let me show you what I mean by that. So uh, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul actually gets into this a little bit more specifically. And because we have the whole counsel of God with us today, we can use it. Don't worry, I'm not going to read every passage of Scripture today. But it is important for us to take it in context and to, and to know. So let me read, it, let me read this to you. Um, I think I even have it on the screen here. Yeah, Why, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 22 through 24, Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So what this is getting at, again, is an alignment. It's a proper alignment. It's not uh, the fact that the, uh, it's not that, it's not even taking the assumption that The man is the leader or the authority in the household. That's not what Paul's saying here. In fact, notice the grounding for why Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. It's not because the husbands have any sort of authority. It's because it is fitting to the Lord. Paul says, as is fitting to the Lord. So the grounding of the instruction to the wife is not in her husband's authority. It is grounded in the Lord's way of life. That is why it's to be done. It's fitting to the Lord. And also notice, you, you, probably, you saw in uh, Ephesians 5, verse 22, through 20, uh, verse 22 through 24, was 
about how the husbands are um, the head of the household like Christ is the head of the church. Well, what made Christ head of the church? What did we just talk about earlier? The first thing that I mentioned before we started getting into this. He went to the cross. He died for the church. He gave everything for the church. He gave everything for the church. He went from being perfect God, king of it all, creator of the universe, and he went to the cross, and for eternity, he will have the scars to prove how he went to the cross for us. For eternity, he was broken so that we could live in perfection. That is why he is the head. And that is what leads into this next verse. Men, listen up. This is where I'm passionate. It's not because of the wives submitting to their husbands. That's a whole other story. I just talked about that, right? It's an alignment issue. It is not a, uh, a complete, direct, always, because the man is the leader. It is an alignment issue. Now, men, listen up. This is why women can submit to you. Why, I'm sorry, not women, wives can submit to husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now note, wives, this does not say make sure your husbands love you. It says, husbands, love your wives. The word that Paul uses here for love is a uh, reflection of a covenantal relationship. A covenantal Commitment ship, uh, commitment ship. Wow, that's a big word. It's not even a word. A covenantal relationship. So the way God loves us, God's love toward us is a commitment of, get this, it's a commitment of presence, advocacy, and protection, and entails both summoning his people into and providing for their transformation into Christ-likeness. Okay? So, he has made a commitment. If you read through Genesis chapter 12, 15, 17, and you see the commitment that God gave to Abraham, and then to Moses later, and then to David, the covenant that God gave to his people was a commitment of presence. I will be with you. Right? Remember how he used that phrase? I will be with you. Advocacy, I will be for you. I will support you. And protection. I will give you what you need. And then he also provides a way for them to learn about him so that they can grow to be more like him. That's God's covenantal love to us. And so that's the same type of love that Paul is talking about here for husbands love their wives. So this is how it can be said of the husband and how he should love his wife. Love is a covenant commitment to his wife. And here's how it applies. He is to be with her. To be with her. To be present with her. He is to be for her. To be for her. So to support her in everything, to be her advocate, and to be her biggest fan. 
That's what it means to be for her. Let me give you an example of this from the perspective of God. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. This idea of being for her. This is God talking to Abraham, Abram at the time. He says, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So as God is for his people, husbands should be for their wives. And also, husbands should provide for their wives and to pursue Christ-likeness together. We are to pursue Christ-likeness together. Now, some of you women may be hearing this and going, yes, amen, that's exactly what it is. Why is that? Going back to how God created us. He wired us in such a way. Wives, he wired you to desire that. And men, he wired you to be able to do that. We just need to tap into his grace every once in a while to be able to accomplish that. Right? It's very difficult sometimes. And I'll explain. I have an example for you later. Um, Get into that. Um, So, husbands, love your wives. And then late, and then he goes on to say, and do not be harsh with them. And do not be harsh with them. What he's getting at here is he's attacking a specific thing that's going on in Colossae at this time. And it wasn't this way with every single husband, but it was, it was kind of a tendency with this, the, the Roman and Greek disposition of men at this time. And why harshness would be mentioned here. So this term has a connotation of bitterness. It's like being embittered toward your wife. So the husband is instructed not to become embittered against his wife and not to despise his wife. Love does not despise because it honors and empowers the other at one's own expense. Why would a man and a husband start to despise or become embittered toward his wife? In Colossae, Husbands, it was common, like I said, not always, but it was common to where they would not be faithful to their wives. There was prostitution. There were other relationships. It was not uncommon. And because of that, men start to drift and start to desire the things that they're experiencing over in this other world with their wife who doesn't have those qualities, and that's okay because that's not the way God created her. But men can become, start to despise. And so that's why Paul is saying, do not be harsh toward your woman. In other words, you need to align yourself. Husbands, we need to align ourselves with our wives and with no one else. Do not be harsh with her. Let me turn to Ephesians. So Paul builds upon this a little bit more. Ephesians chapter 5 starting in verse 25. Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, 
just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul goes so far as to say and to tell husbands that they must love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. That's placing her before yourself. Placing her before yourself. So let's get practical. Rather than thinking, well, what can my wife do for me? What can my wife do for me? The mindset that Paul is getting at here is, what can I do for my wife? What can I do for my wife? And not just sometimes, all the time. Every time. What can I do for my wife? And not because your wife is unable to do things. She is quite capable. We read that in Proverbs 31. She is quite capable. It's not because she can't do things. It's because you can't. So why not? Again, going back to the example that Christ gave us. He did everything for the church. He gave everything for the church. So husbands, we are to love our wives like Christ loved the church, which means giving all of yourself to her and only to her. All of yourself. All the time. So if you're looking for a practical way to attack Satan head on, love your wife. And do not be harsh with her. Love your wife. Paul is addressing this first in the Christian household because um, in the Christian household, marriage is the most basic, uh, the most basic portion of life. And what I mean by that is in a family. And Paul is addressing this first because that is where Satan likes to attack. Satan loves to attack marriages. And as we're going to see later, he loves to attack relationships with our kids and relationships with our families. Why is that? Because a tight family that is united in Christ and serving each other there's so much power. And Satan goes after that. So husbands, if you're looking for a practical way to attack Satan head on, love your wife. Now the commands here to both wives and husbands assume an incredible amount of humility. An incredible amount of humility and service. Christ demonstrated this type of humility and service. And Paul documents it for us in Philippians. So I'm going to turn to Philippians chapter 2 and read verses 3 through 8 for you, just to give you an example of this humility that we are to have toward our spouses. Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality 
with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the type of humility we are to express with our spouses as husbands and wives. It's an, it's an idea of dying to yourself and living for the other and serving, other, serving the other. Paul talked about putting off the flesh earlier in chapter 2. And it's the same thing here. It's putting off our own desires and having our desires be the desires of our spouse, of our husband or our wife. Let me give you a personal example here. So in times of disagreement or when I feel offended, uh, by Jess, which does happen, I have to admit. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's scary, um, but it does happen. Feeling when I, I like, when I've been, um, feel like I've been mistreated or in times of disagreement, I find myself very easily starting to think about all of the things that she did wrong. And um, I'm trying to think about all the ways I can figure out how to point that out to her. Right? Okay, everybody's shaking their heads because they know they've been there, Right? Oh, you did this to me. I, I, I got to figure out how to say this and sneak it in just right to where she can't retaliate. Usually when I follow through with that idea that I came up with and then the way I tried to, uh, uh, to get at her and, and tell her that, it, it doesn't go very well. Does it? You know, it doesn't go very well when you try to do that. Because they typically have... She typically has a, a thing that she's thinking of too, right? I couldn't. How could, how could that possibly be, right? What's the focus that I have here? My focus was on myself. I was only thinking about how she could have possibly wronged me or how she could have possibly offended me. How I thought I was right and how I was mistreated. You hear all that? Me, 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 I, I, I. You know that goes on in your head too, right? In, in Paul's commands to husbands and wives here, it essentially boils down to this. It boils down to, like I said earlier, dying, for your, dying to yourself and living for the other person. So practically, what I have tried to do, now that I have tried the other tactic and failed so often, um, no, it's because of what God is teaching us. What I have tried to do is I have tried to stop and think about, okay, I feel like I've been mistreated or that she's wrong or that I've been offended, but what are the things that could be bothering her? Rather than trying to come up with all these ideas that's bothering me, what are the, what are the things that are bothering her? And it's very hard for me to do that. I'll be honest, it is very hard. And more often than not, I have to be walking in the Spirit in order to be able to get to that point. I have to be in the Word, studying and praying and being built up in the Spirit to be able to get to that point, okay? I am not always there. But when I do get there and I think about these ideas, I start to want to t believe the temptation that, uh, well, they're, they're, just, they're just little. They're, they're insignificant. That, how in the world could that be the thing? That's, that's so small. But when I ask her about it, and I bring it up, and I say, is this, what some, is this something that could have been bothering you? I find out that it's gigantic. It's, it's huge. 
this is like one of the biggest things. And I'm like, why was this big to me? But not to her. And that's what Paul's getting at here. And wives and husbands need to align themselves to each other. Wives, submit to your husbands as you would to Christ because of what Christ has done. And submit to your husbands only your husbands because he is your man. And then husbands, we need to submit to our, or I'm sorry, we need to love our wives because they are the only one for us. I love what um, Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 5. And some of you know where I'm going with this, so I won't read the whole thing. I'll let you guys read it on your own if you even get to it. Um, come on. I should have marked it. So what I get for not marking my Bible. Proverbs chapter 5, starting with verse 18. I'm sorry, 11. Yeah, some of you are reading it already and going, oh, I know where he's going. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 11. No, 15, sorry. Verse 5, chapter 5, verse 15. I'll get there. All right. Drink, this is a warning against adultery. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. And I'll let you read the rest. That's okay. God set it up that way. Enjoy it in marriage. All right, moving on. Spent more time on that than I intended. Okay, uh, parental relationships, going on to Colossians uh, 3, verse 20. Okay, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Okay, what Paul is getting at here, and it's similar in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, and I'm not going to take the time to go there. Um, But what he's getting at here is this command that has a promise uh, in, in the Ten Commandments that God gave. And that command is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, where God said, honor your father and mother. And the promise with that command is that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So this is what Paul is referring back to. And again, he's bringing these, these Colossian believers into the what, how they should be living as kingdom people, as people who are God's people living God's way. And so he's bringing back the Old, uh, the Old Testament Ten Commandments, which apparently, according to this, and they do, they still apply. So he's bringing that back. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Notice, similarly to Paul's instructions to wives, the grounding of Paul's instruction to children to obey their parents and everything is in the Lord's way of life. The grounding is because it pleases the Lord. So it all goes back to what God has set up and intended for living the entirety of life. 
The grounding is, for this pleases the Lord. And those words in everything can, for some people, make you go, I'm not so sure about that. And that's because we live in a fallen world. Parents can be sinners. Surprise! We can be sinners. We are sinners. So let me talk about this a little bit. So this, this word, this phrase, in everything. Okay? It does not always necessarily, I'm sorry, it does not necessarily mean always. In the context here, and also in the context of the Old Testament uh, Ten Commandments, that I, one of the, the commandments that I just read, the context is that this was provided to the Hebrew nation, God's covenant people. Okay, So, parents were expected to hear this as well, and they were expected to be in this covenant people. Okay, And so the assumption that father and mother were part of that larger family of God. And the child was expected to honor them as the parents because the parents were expected to bring them up in the way of the Lord. That is the nature of this. Okay? Not every child is brought up in a godly family anymore. And so, and even, even in this time. But, and so this can be a difficult command for children of unbelieving parents or even of parents who are abusive Because you have to take it in wisdom and exercise this obedience in wisdom. So this can be difficult. But we must exercise obedience in wisdom because it is pleasing to the Lord. Now, I'm going to get a little ahead of myself, but uh, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, and even beyond there in the end of chapter 4, is this application of wisdom to outsiders and applying all of this to their um, but what we're going to see is uh, later on in chapter 4 is that um, this is an area where we, uh, as believing parents, can be praying and praying for those members of our church family who do not have believing parents. It is an area where we can be praying. And we'll talk about prayer in a second. But uh, what Paul is getting at here is that as children, we need to be obeying our parents in everything, and not in a way that would be contrary to what the Word of God teaches. And then going on, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Like I mentioned earlier, fathers in the Roman culture here in Colossae had a, uh, an incredible amount of authority over their children. And so what Paul is doing here is he's trying to tear down that, tear down that layer, tear down that barrier, and say, do not lord your authority over your children. Do not exercise your authority because I am the dad. This is what you're going to do. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying you must not provoke your children and not dominating over them. In fact, Paul doesn't mention anything about the father's authority at all. And this word provoke is interesting. And I tend to fall into this uh, every once in a while because this word provoke means to pick fights with or to conspire against. Can you imagine conspiring against your children? Or picking a fight with your kid? goes back to the age thing that I mentioned earlier. As Kalia was running through the chairs, I was thinking, why are you doing this? And the answer is, because she's two. 
I've got 30 years of experience on her. So of course I would think that's silly. But to her, she's like, I'm just trying to get over here. It's the easiest way possible without anybody seeing me. Mind of a kid, right? Okay. So instead of looking at her and going, why would you do this? My job as a dad, and what Paul is talking about here, is I need to stop and I need to teach her and instruct her. Right? This is how you should get to this location in the, in the seats, not through the, not through the chairs or whatever the case is, right? Because if we are to stop them and to expect them to think the same way that we do, remember, they're never going to have the same amount of experience that we do, ever, 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 ever. They will never have the same amount of experience because we will always have that many years ahead of them. Kalia will never be my age at my age. She'll be 30-ish when she's 30-ish, but then I'll be like 60-ish. And so I'll have 30 more years on top of her. And this, this provoking, this picking fights with, is like getting down to their level and like fighting with your sibling. If you think about it, it's kind of absurd to do that with a young kid. And doing that, as Paul mentions, can lead to discouragement. And that word discouragement also has the connotation of leading to rebellion. Leading to rebellion. And it's interesting that Paul makes the point to fathers. Now again, it could be because of the position of authority that they had in, the, in Colossae. Um, but I also think it's something about the way that we as, as children, as we look up to our fathers, the way we've been wired. There's something about the way God has wired us to view our fathers and to see them. And as fathers, we need to be, we need to be mindful of that in light of this command and, um, and use that for the Lord's advantage and to apply this to our raising of children. Now, uh, in light of single parenthood and especially single motherhood, I think this passage still does apply. Um, so not... Uh, there's not always going to be a father in the life of a child necessarily, which is, un- which is awful, but that is the way we live. We live in a fallen world, right? We live in a broken, fallen world. And so I think this passage still applies because uh, as, as mothers, you can apply this and, and not even get down to their level too. Because, it, it, I mean, you know. You know what that feels like. You want to, like, why would you do that to me? Why, why are you laughing at me? Or two, or they're whatever, 15, or 20. Okay, moving on quickly. I've got to wrap up. Land the plane. Social relationships, societal relationships. Moving on here in the, uh, the slave-master uh, relationship that we get here. So let me read this real quick. Uh, 22 through uh, 25. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And he goes on to say to the masters, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Paul is not condoning slavery here. Okay, This is something that existed in Colossae, and this is something that us, as, as we live in a social democratic republic, 
we have the opportunity to, to lobby against things that are injustices. Okay, we have that opportunity. But in Colossae, Christians, most Christians, did not have that even, even that, that close of an opportunity to be able to do that, to be able to lobby against and, and try to enforce policy reform. That was not something they could do. And so Paul is addressing it as, hey, masters, guess what? If you've got a believer who is also your slave, guess what? You are on the same level. Masters, you are no longer just the master. You are their brother or their sister. And slaves are like, yes, because they are on the same level. God's saying, or Paul's saying, you're on the same playing field because there is no partiality with God. There's no partiality with God. So what Paul is doing here is he's addressing this, but he's also in the, uh, in the microcosm of the church that exists there in Colossae. He's saying, when you enter into the church, when you enter into fellowship, all of those relationships go down flat. There's no hierarchy. There's no social, economic status. You are all brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what he's saying here. And as I mentioned earlier, there's no partiality with Christ. That's what Paul mentions here uh, in chapter 4. Um, yeah, in chapter 4 here. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 25. He says, and there is no partiality. So God does not care what class of person you are in society. One thing I find noteworthy here, though, is that, and, and even throughout this whole passage that we that we studied, is that Paul doesn't necessarily instruct his audience to escape a situation in which they're suffering. Especially in this passage regarding slave-master relationships. Now, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't seek safety from, uh, from physical harm or abuse. We have the opportunity to do that today with the authorities and the system that's in place in our Western society that can help in those areas. What I'm pointing out, though, is that living as God's people in God's way goes against the grain of the world and the minds of unbelievers and many times flies in direct contradiction with the world. And that can lead to suffering for a believer, even within the household. That can lead to suffering, even with the relationships that we've identified here. So I want to address something that Paul mentions about suffering, and that's in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Paul's talking about the hope that we have in the glory of God. And he says in verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, 
We are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is talking about the coming kingdom. So our suffering now, even in these relationships, it will be, it will appear like nothing when we actually when we get there to the kingdom. Now, God is responsible for vengeance. Romans twelve, verse nineteen, Paul writes, "Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine; I will repay," says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not become, not be overcome by evil, but be overcome, but overcome evil with good. So leave it up to the Lord, and live the way that He is instructing us to live. Now He gets into instructions here in the in the first part of chapter four here. Starting with verse 2, he gets into instructions for the church. So we've left instructions for the household, and we're moving into instructions for the church. And I'm going to burn through this quickly um, as, we, as we discuss here. So verses 2 through 6, Paul says, Continue steadfastly. Again, this is back in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So Paul says, we as a, as a church family, we need to be devoted to prayer. And not only to be devoted to prayer, but to be watchful in it. And that idea of being watchful in it is guarding that time of prayer, or guarding that prayer. We need to guard it, because it is so important. And then he says, with thanksgiving. In thanksgiving. That is a term that keeps popping up in every sermon almost through this book of Colossians, through this letter to Colossians, is thanksgiving. In everything, be thankful. And then he says, pray for the mission. Pray for us, so that God may open to us a door for the word. And as a church, we can be praying for the mission of our pastors and our elders. And here are some ideas for us to be praying for. Some, way we can, uh, uh, some ways we can be praying for our elders. Specifically for Greg. We can be praying that God would help him make disciple-making and preaching his top priority with regards to his time and main efforts. This actually came from Greg. I asked him for these points and how we could be praying for our church family as our, as our lead senior pastor here. How could we be praying for the mission of the church? So for Greg, that God would help make him disciple, that would help him make disciple-making and preaching his top priority with regards to his time and main efforts. And for the elders, we can be praying that God would lead and guide us in shepherding the church body and to lead us in leading the church to be faithful to the mission Christ has given us. And then finally, for the church, we could be praying that as members, we would spend daily time with God reading and reflecting on his word. And as we do so, that we would get his heart for the word. And then pray that all of us would commit to seek opportunities 
to win people to Christ through prayer, word, and deed. And that is a perfect uh, transition into this last portion of Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, where Paul talks about how we should, as a church and as believers, live uh, toward outsiders, meaning unbelievers. Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. As I mentioned earlier, every relationship is extremely complex. It's just human, that's just how we are as humans. And so, as we walk, we need to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And wisdom is that fear of the Lord. That's what Paul is referring to here, is that fear of the Lord, right? Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So, to sum it up here, we need to be living our, the entirety of our life in the name of the Lord because it serves as a witness to everyone. It serves as a witness to our family, to our children, and to unbelievers. And Peter addresses this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, and I will let you read that. But what, it's, what he is, what Paul is teaching here, and the reason why we need to be living in this way is because it is God's way. It is God's way of living. It is God's regulation. It is the law that he has set up as his kingdom people. So we have an opportunity to bring the kingdom here, to be living in the kingdom now with the way that he is teaching here. And as a church family, we can be devoted to prayer for those in our family, in our church family, who have unbelieving husbands, unbelieving wives, unbelieving parents, and unbelieving children. It's the opportunity we have. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to study this passage in Colossians and to uh, look at how you have set up um, us, how you have wired us in your creation to, to live relationally, to live in relationship with others. We are... We are to be in relationship with others, but yet there, is a, there are boundaries in which you have set us up. And we thank you for teaching us what those are so that we can apply them to our lives and learn to live for you. Father, help us as we leave here today to continue to live as your people, living your way in the entirety of our lives so that we can be a witness and a light to those around us for your glory. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.